while you are waiting for me to catch up, if you would turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8. Ask me where they went. They disappeared. Probably where the missing socks are. They're probably in about the same place, right? Uh, let me just give you a couple of clarifications real quick. Number one, Cindy's procedure is on Wednesday, not Thursday. So keep her in mind for Wednesday. And then also, Miss Gloria, too. Uh, she'll be having some work done. She's been having a lot of pain in her neck, those of you that know. She's been dealing with this for quite a while. And so there's one more thing they're going to try, and if that doesn't work, they're going to have to do surgery by going in the front of her neck to fix the C5 in the back. So just keep her in your prayers. I know it's been a rough couple months for her, so I know that she would appreciate the prayers as well. Isaiah chapter 8 is where we're going to end up, and and chapter 9. But uh, as we get started here... um, I want to start off today by reading an excerpt from a pastor who asked the question, what is Christmas? And in our minds, as soon as I say that, there's probably a thousand different things that come to your mind about what is Christmas. But a pastor by the name of Jerry Watts um, asked this question, what does Christmas mean? Perhaps we should have begun with these questions because Christmas seems to mean so many things to so many people, right? If Christmas means family, then what does Christmas mean to a person who has just lost a loved one or has no family? Ever thought about that? So many people, I have many friends that this is the first Christmas without their spouse. The first Christmas without the special grandparents. The first Christmas without a child. And so that kind of takes on a new meaning, doesn't it? If Christmas means shopping malls, Christmas trees, and blinking lights, then what does Christmas mean to a family who lives in a remote village in the hills of Ghana that has no electricity, let alone a shopping mall, and has never seen a Christmas tree? kind of takes on new perspective when you see a world that doesn't have the things that we take for granted. If Christmas means the giving and receiving of gifts, then what does Christmas mean to a single mother of four children working two jobs, barely having enough money to pay the mortgage and heat and buy food? Many of you know people who have been in that scenario. Maybe you've been in that scenario yourself. If Christmas means white snow falling from the sky and covering the ground and bare tree limbs, then what does Christmas mean to a person who lives in Arizona desert? Right? So what does Christmas mean? What is Christmas? Now please don't misunderstand. Family, trees, lights, gifts, food, snow, they're all fine and good. And they can be very beneficial, but they're not what Christmas really means, right? I think we all understand that. So I want us to, for a little bit this morning, look at Isaiah chapter 8 and into chapter 9. And I want to specifically begin reading with verse 19. I have to share a little bit of a confession here before I read this. Those of you who have been here long enough, you know I don't like preaching holidays. I just would rather just preach on through a book, preach on through a series, preach on through something, because trying to come up with a 
same thing over and over again. I know it's basic. I know it's the fun, the foundation. But many people are looking for some new, new nuance of, of the same season over and over again. It's not about the gifts. It's not about the trees. It's not about Santa. It's not, yeah, we've heard that eight million times, right? What's pastor going to say that I haven't heard before? But I really get excited when God gives you something that's like, wow, I never really thought about it from that perspective before. Cool. That's one of those scenarios to me. We've all heard Isaiah chapter 9, but have you read back a few verses? I want to begin reading verse 19. It says, Now when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, they do not speak according to this word, is because they have no dawn. And they will pass through the land hard-pressed and hungry. And it will be that when they are hungry, they will be angry and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be banished into thick darkness. What in the world does that have to do with Christmas? What does any of that have to do with this season of life? has a lot to do with it because this was the mindset of the day when Jesus Christ's birth was prophesied. You know, just for a moment, in, in chapter 8 and verse 19, it says, referring to the scribes and the Pharisees, the doctors that were amongst the Jews, those who typically sought out sorcerers, those who sought out magicians to know the times, those who sought out the enchanters or mediums with captivating ears, the spiritists who whisper and mutter, these are all the people that people were going to during their dark day, so to speak. There was a day and age in which there was turmoil and frustration and a spiritual darkness was covering the land. And they were searching everybody to find some type of answers, some type of direction, some type of a, a, a place to go and to be a part of. And, and yet we know here, it says right there in verse 19, it says, "...inquire of the medians and the spiritists who whisper and mutter." The whole idea, they were going to everybody but God. They were doing everything that they needed to do except the right thing, the one thing they should be doing. They were seeking after wisdom and direction from everyone else but God. And he asked this question. Should not a people inquire of their God? I mean, you think this is so basic, so obvious, so duh, and yet they weren't getting it. The whole idea was that they were searching everywhere and in everything. And he says, should they not inquire of their God? I mean, duh, here's the obvious here, folks. Is that a big G or a little G, by the way? Look in your text. Big G or little G? Big G, the one God, the right God. He said, you know who he is, and yet you're not even seeking him. He says, not only are you not seeking him, look at the end of verse 19. He says, should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Something is really, royally messed up here. They're searching for everybody. I mean, they're looking at dead people. They're going to sorcerers. They're going to enchanters. They're going to mediums. They're going to everybody except for the one person they should go to. He said, why are you seeking advice, wisdom, direction from the dead for the living? So we can presuppose from that statement in that verse that the times were really dark in the day in which they were living. 
Let's go on here, verse, just for a moment here. Just before I do, though, the thought came to my mind. Is it really so much different for them as it is for us today? Let's be honest. I wonder if many of us here today aren't guilty of doing the same thing practically. I wonder if every time we have a question about what's happening next, every time we have a, you know, a thought about what we should do next, or what we should think about the next thing that comes in front of our view, I wonder if we aren't guilty of going to Google, searching the internet to see what they might, what I might find to get some answers and get some direction. I wonder if some of us don't pick up our phones and call whoever it is that we're close to or whoever we want to get some wisdom from. I wonder if we don't start going to the library and start finding books on certain topics because they'll make us feel better about whatever the circumstance or situation is. I wonder how many of us go and inquire of our friends to see what wisdom they can give us about what's taking place and what their opinion is of everything that's going on. And I wonder if, just like the prophet was telling the children of Israel, why are you going everywhere for wisdom and advice when God is right here? Let's think about that for a minute. Let that sink in. We have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, right? Tell me I'm wrong. We have the ability to know and have God with us no matter what we do, no matter where we are at. He is with us. And yet, that's sometimes not good enough in our finite minds because we want to be able to sit and talk and have coffee with somebody or sit on the phone and relate with somebody and be soothed and comforted by what they have to say rather than taking time to get on our face before God and see what God has to say. It's easier sometimes because I can reach out and touch that person and I can sit there and have a conversation and a dialogue back and forth. But God is saying right here, why are we searching for wisdom for every other direction when God is right here within us? Is it really much different than it was in the days of Isaiah? I don't think it was. Different circumstances, different situations, but the principles are all the same, right? The reality is that we're so prone to do what we think is best and what we think will help our case and what we think will go our direction. I think some things never change. And then he says in verse 20, let's put this into perspective. The day and age in which they were living, it was dark, it was... Seemingly no hope, and I'll tell you how I get that from the passage in just a minute. But look at verse 20, it says, To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. To the law and to the testimonies. That's referring to the word of God that does not change. That's referring to truth that does not change. He says, if it's not according to that, they have no dawn. The idea behind they have no dawn is that they have no light. In other words, there's no hope of tomorrow. They're living in a time period in which many of them believed that they had no hope. I don't know about you, but when hope is gone, things get pretty dark. Right? No dawn. No light of day. No hope for tomorrow. When hope is gone, it seems like things just like ugh, are overwhelming. Right? We do have hope. This is not the final end of the ending of everything. The things that we're experiencing, this is, just, this is just a little bleep on the timeline of eternity, right? It says, through the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to these, this word, it is because they have no doubt. In other words, they have no hope for tomorrow. In fact, 
Hold your finger there just for a minute. And over in chapter uh, 5 and verse 14. I know I mess, I mess everyone up with reading from different translation from time to time. And I'm doing that today, so I apologize. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I mean, think about that. He is the light. And if we have the light of Jesus, we have all the hope we need. Right? Think about that. In Isaiah chapter 8, verses 21 and 22, it says this. It says, And they will pass through the land hard-pressed and hungry. And it will be that when they are hungry, they will be angry and curse their king and their gods as they face upward. Once again, look at that word G. Is that big G or little G? Big G. They're cursing the God. Why? Because they weren't getting their way. They wanted what they wanted, when they wanted it, as often as they wanted it, for as long as they wanted it. They wanted their way. And because they were going through difficult times, and the day and age where they were living was dark, and everything that was going on, they were even cursing God because I'm not getting what I want. Look at this. It says, Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. They will be banished into thick darkness. <laughs> I don't know about you, but they will be hard-pressed, hungry, angry. They will experience distress and darkness and gloom, and will be banished into thick darkness. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? Sign me up. Where, where, where do I sign up? How many feel like we're there sometimes? I don't know about you, but this day and age we live, it's hard. It is hard. I'll remind you what Spurgeon said, and I said it a couple weeks ago. He says, the Christian life is not an easy life. In fact, it's impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, you cannot have the mind of Christ. Apart from the Holy Spirit, you cannot have the, the life of Christ that He wants you to live. You can't do it in your own flesh. You can't. It says they will curse their King and God as they look upward. I mean, get a vision of this. People who know who God is, get a picture in your mind. Looking upward to God and angry at Him. Angry! Because they don't get in their way. Wow. They'll look to the earth and behold distress and darkness and gloom of anguish and banish. They weren't looking to God, though I believe they knew better. Does it sound familiar to some of what goes on in our lives today? We know who God is. We know He's with us. But because we're not getting our way, we're just angry and frustrated and upset with God because somehow God's not getting it right. I really don't think the day and age in which this was taking place is a whole lot different than what's taking place in our day and age. I really don't. Different names, different faces, different year, different time on the calendar but the same old story, right? But look at chapter 9. This is like, wow, this is so cool. Here's where God's mercy and grace stands out. And notice what the prophet says here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. But, just stop right there. Just don't go any further. But, 
Here's the circumstance of everything that's taken place in our culture, in our life, and in our world in which we're living. There's darkness and gloom and frustration and hurt. And it seems like there's no hope but God. Isn't that awesome? I mean, think about it. Let that sink in for a minute. But God. Why? Because God changes everything. He says, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. Wait a minute. All these people who are experiencing anguish and doom and gloom and darkness, there's, it's going to be gone? Wait a minute. There will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. Talking her being referring to the people here. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea and on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Wow. He says, everything is about to change. Isn't that awesome? Everything is about to change. What's going to change? Well, he goes on to tell us here. Verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. They're going to go from darkness to light. Verse 3, you shall multiply the nation, you shall make great their gladness. The nation is going to be multiplied. God's going to grow the nation. Then he says, God will restore their gladness. Look at the middle of verse 3. You shall make great their gladness, and they will be glad in your presence as with the, the gladness of harvest. Now you think about this. Does a farmer want a good yield or a poor yield? He wants a good yield. He wants the best yield possible. And what happens when he gets this? He's excited. And I remember I've seen this many times on my wife's, I mean, on my mom's side of the family. They're all farmers, and they farm thousands of acres. I mean, when they go to harvest, they got eight combines going. It's just crazy. I mean, they're big farmers. But when the harvest is good, they're all excited about it. We had a great yield this year. Because that's the kind of gladness you'll see. As if with a great harvest. It's not just, oh, he's going to turn your morning to gladness. He says, I am going to multiply your gladness as though you had the best bumper yield you ever had. Isn't that awesome? Go on here. End of verse 3. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil, men will rejoice. Wait a minute, but there's darkness and there's doom and gloom. It's going to be the thickness of cloud darkness. He says, it's bad. Right? Temporary. Yeah. Verse 4. For you shall shatter the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. He says, what is holding you down, what is binding you up, will be removed. For every boot of the booted warrior in the rumbling of battle and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. Wait a minute. All these things God's going to do. Let me ask you a question. Does the hardship last forever? No. If we truly know Jesus Christ, some of you do, some of you may not, but if you truly know Jesus and have a relationship with Him, everything that you experience in this life is temporary. In fact, God's Word says our citizenship is not here in the United States. It's not in the state of New York. It's not in the counties around Rochester. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's our home. This is just temporary. Think about this. All this darkness and doom and gloom that they were experiencing, 
the frustration that we go through with the seemingly lack of hope of what's taking place in our sphere, it's temporary. Why? Because Jesus is coming. How is all this going to change? Great change is coming, but how? Look at verse 6. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Think about that. This is the catalyst for all the change that's going to be talked about here. Jesus Christ leaving the splendor of heaven, coming down to earth as a child, changes everything. And the governor, government will be upon His shoulders. And His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this. He says, Jesus is coming. And when He does, all these things that you've been experiencing, it's over. So if it's not over in our minds, what's the key factor? Could it be that we're sometimes just like the people here where they're looking upward to heaven, but at the same time shaking their fist in the face of God? You don't know what you're doing. You're making mistakes. You should be doing this, but this is happening. If you know Jesus, He changes everything. Everything. He says He'll be a wonderful counselor. He'll have extraordinary wisdom. He needs the wisdom and advice of no one. Think about that. He's the wonderful counselor. We go to counselors for advice, for wisdom, for direction. He says Jesus will be that for all of us. He'll be the wonderful counselor. He needs advice from no one. He'll have extraordinary wisdom that nobody else has. Why? Because He's God omniscient, incarnate as man. Mighty God. He will have great power. He's Yahweh. He is coming down and He'll have all the power that, he, that, they, that can be known is in Him. He's the mighty God. The eternal Father. He will have never-ending life and He will be there for His people forever. Think about this. This prophecy that was made back in Isaiah's day, back there in Isaiah chapter 9, changes everything, and He's still changing everything today for those who have put their faith and trust in Him. Still changing. Because He's the Eternal Father. And the Prince of Peace. He will be the bringer or the source of peace. Not only is He able to resolve conflict, He will have no issue undone. Why? Because... He's the Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of His government or His peace. He's going to change everything. He will bring His people from a place of darkness, trial, gloom, and a place of no hope through one act of Jesus being born on this earth. And we continue to look, we can continue to look everyone around us. We can continue to go to Google. Go to Facebook, find your favorite book, call your friends. You can continue to do all those things to find your source of hope and peace and happiness, or you can turn to God. Because He'll change everything. 
Why? Because he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting eternal father, the prince of peace. And then when we find he fulfilled his prophecy, Luke chapter 2, so we'll talk about Christmas Eve. But the reality is he changed everything. And folks, I don't know about you, but we can look like those Israelites in Isaiah's day and say, wow, everything's just bad. And there are parts of it that is just bad. But a lot of it comes down to our perspective, too. We forget that God is with us. What's the word Emmanuel mean? God with us. He's with us. He said, I will never, what? Leave you nor forsake you. 1 Corinthians 6 says, What? Knowing not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. Bottom line, He's with us. And as long as we want to look at life and view life and walk through life as though we're doing it by ourselves, you're going to have struggle. But when you yield it all to Him and realize that He's walking with you, it changes everything. And when we read in Luke chapter 2, He came change the world for all eternity. We don't have to stay in the darkness. We can walk in the light as He is in the light. That's what He desires for us. So the question that you and I have to answer today, I think there's two questions. Number one, in the midst of your struggle, difficulty, trial, doom, gloom, no hope, whatever you want to call it, your hardship, you either can continue to walk in that or you can put your faith and trust in Jesus. That's it. That's your answer. Because this is temporary. But where you spend eternity is eternal. And if you don't know Him, you need to learn of Him. You need to know who He is. And put your faith and trust in Him. Lord, as we come before You this morning, thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the fact that, Lord, We don't have to stay in the doom, the gloom, the darkness, the trials, the the feeling of no hope. We can have you in our hearts with us everywhere. We can have a relationship with you, Father. We can know you as our Savior. Lord God, that changes everything we know. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just ask for a moment as we're praying that we not be looking around, just... Every week, as I share from God's Word, we have an opportunity to respond to what God's Word says. But maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, I don't know about that hope. I don't know about the light that has come into this world. I don't know that I have a relationship with Jesus. Can I challenge you? That's where it starts. You want hope? You want feelings of overcoming what's in this world? You want to have some hope in what God is doing, you put your trust in Him and Him alone. Maybe you're here this morning and say, well, I don't even know what that means. I don't know that I've ever come to the place where I know Jesus. Can I just challenge you this morning? It's simple. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Christ died on the cross for you. Confess your sins and call on Him to be your Savior. It's that simple. A simple prayer of faith. 
You say, Pastor Ken, this morning, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know that I know Jesus. I don't know that if I were to die today that I would spend eternity in heaven, but I'm concerned. I'll not embarrass you. I'll not call you out, but simply with uplifted hand, you say, pray for me. Just between me and you, you say, I'm not sure, but I'm concerned. Will you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Just look up. Look at my eyes. Something so I can pray for you. I'll not embarrass you. I'll not call you out. Just want to pray for you if you're not sure. Do you know Jesus? That's where your hope begins. And the second question is this then. If you know Jesus, are you one that's trusting in him or looking up to heaven with a fist in your hand saying why? All you need to repent of that. God's got this all under control. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. He makes no mistakes. You say, Pastor, if I'm honest with myself this morning, I haven't been trusting Jesus as I ought through these struggles of life, through the darkness, through the gloom, through the feelings of no hope. I haven't been trusting Jesus, but I'm convicted of that. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes. 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 Lord God, would you help all of us, Lord, who have struggled with this. Lord, there are some times of frustration, times that, Lord, we, maybe even inadvertently, Lord, maybe, Lord, even times that we don't actively, we're not trying to anger you, Lord. We're not trying to, Lord, put our fist in your face, but, Lord, that's what we're doing because we're not trusting you. We're so focused on the circumstances, and we're not focused on the counselor. God, I pray you'd help us, Lord, all around this auditorium, Lord, those who have acknowledged that they're not trusting you as they ought. God, I pray that you'd work in their hearts, draw them closer to you. God, do a work in our hearts and our lives, Lord, that only you can do. But, Lord, I do pray, Lord, if there still be one here today, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, might today be the day of salvation for them. Lord, might today be the day that they would simply turn from trusting themselves and their own wisdom, their own knowledge, their own experiences, their own feelings, to the knowledge of you, Lord, and put faith and trust in you. I ask, God, that you would draw them to yourself, Lord, if that be their need. But, God, work in all of our hearts, Lord, because we do have hope. And, Lord, that hope came through a baby named Jesus. That's Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, help us never to forget that. Help us never to grow weary of that. And we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray.